So Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise your name and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Cool. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, we're going to keep tracking through Psalm 145 um, the next few weeks. And so the last couple of weeks, we've just been talking about worship and praise and um, how God is worthy of our worship and praise. And then just looking at different aspects that David in this psalm focuses on and as a way of celebrating God's goodness and just centering our attention on him and praising and worshiping him. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we focused on the first seven verses, which were kind of focused a bit around God's acts in creation and his power, and we've been singing about that before, which was really cool, and, um, and his acts of salvation as well, which we, we, we sing and we celebrate every week. And then last week, we were looking at just one verse, verse eight, uh, about God's character, um, that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, which is a, a verse that comes up again and again through the Bible as, as a summary of what God is like, if you wanted to describe him that that's who he is, that's his character, his heart. And where we're going today is the next um, sort of section, verses 9 to the first half of verse 13, which is this celebration of God's kingdom, that, that God acts powerfully, that, that he is this amazing being of generous, compassionate love, but he's also a king, and he has a kingdom. And we get to celebrate and live in his kingdom. And what we're going to do today is kind of talk a bit about that and the joy of that and the joy of his kingdom. Because um, kings and rulers and governments are important, right? Um, even just recently, there's been elections and lots of people interested in governments and interested in people who are in charge and who are ruling because we want people who are in charge who are good 
and people who can do good and people who can care for the world. We need good government that's stable. We want peace in our world. We want justice. We want freedom. We want people to do right. We want people in our society to be helped and evil dealt with. Um, that's, that's part of the role of what we want to see in the world. And what we see in God's kingdom is just that, that God is king, that he rules with a rule of justice and love and goodness and compassion, and he invites us into it. So I'm just going to read these, this first bit, um, these few verses from Psalm 145 that we're going to kind of use as a bit of a starting point to then discuss this bigger picture of the God's kingdom today. So it says from verse 9, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. So this compassionate, gracious God is king. He's king over all. He's good to all. He's mighty and just and good, and David is celebrating God's reign and celebrating God's goodness as king, and we're invited as well to praise God, for God is king. He is Lord over all, and we can celebrate and praise him for that. But you might be sort of listening, and you might be saying, well, it doesn't really seem like that if you look out at the world. It seems like there's all these other kings or all these other rulers or all these other governments that seem powerful and maybe particularly ones in the past as well, maybe we can think of that seem like they're powerful and they're the ones who are running the world and they're the ones who are making things happen. And, and yeah, well, God's king, but it doesn't really look like it. It looks like there's these other people who have authority and power in the world. But God is even king over them. And as we see in scripture, any ruler or authority or government or leader in the world is only there because God has given them authority. He is the king over all. There's this um, amazing story in the book of Daniel, uh, which is actually a testimony in Daniel chapter 4 of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, if you know some of the story of, of Daniel and, and some of the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He actually attacks um, Israel and takes them into exile. He's the one that throws people into the fiery furnace. He, he's a pretty crazy guy, and he's the leader of an empire, a fairly evil empire, a fairly violent person, and a strong, powerful king. Yet there's this testimony in Daniel 4 of Nebuchadnezzar, this, this incredibly powerful king with this huge kingdom, realizing that actually God is king over him. And the only reason he has authority is because of God. There's this crazy story in Daniel 4 when, when um, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. It's this dream of a huge tree that has spread out and all these people are sort of living under it, but then an angel comes and cuts down the tree. And it's this prophecy that the king of Babylon has this power and this might and thinks he's amazing and great, but actually God is going to humble him and help him realize that actually God is king even over him. And this is what happens. Nebuchadnezzar goes and leaves his throne. God forces him away for a time. He lives with the animals for a time. And at the end of this season, it says this in Daniel 4.34, this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful ruler and king, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. 
His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. There's that similar verse from Psalm 145. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So even when we see other rulers in the world or other kings or authorities, God is still king over them. He's the one who's given them authority. We even see this with Jesus and Pilate when, when they're having an interaction. And Jesus says to Pilate, well, you couldn't do anything unless you'd been given authority by God. God is king. He is the ultimate authority. Which means we don't need to fear or lose hope because of human rulers and authorities in our world. God is king over them. God is Lord over them. So if we are afraid or intimidated, we don't need to be, because the Lord is not intimidated. There's even this amazing psalm in Psalm 2, which talks about kings of the earth and rulers kind of coming against God, and God's in heaven, and he's laughing. Like, he's not bothered at all. He's not intimidated by people on earth at all. So we can praise him and exalt him and honor him, because we have a God who's king forever, king over all kings on earth. But again, you might be sort of saying, well, still... Well, that's great, but if God is king, if God's an authority over all these other rules and, and kings on the earth, then why is the world still the way it is? Like, why, why are these people? Why are there people doing bad things? And why are people not ruling well? And the interesting thing that God is king, yet in the story of the Bible, God's plan and desire is that humans would rule on earth. He's king overall, but he creates humans in his image to care for and cultivate and effectively be kings and queens and rulers on earth. That, that's actually how God wants to run the world, that he rules, but he rules through human beings as his representative on earth. He gives real authority to humans. And we know the story that instead of honoring God and his authority and ruling on his behalf, humans chose to believe a lie about God and take power from him and choose to rule in their own strength which leads to all the destruction and devastation we see in the world. They believed a lie. They gave their power to another being. They gave their power to the forces of evil instead of trusting and ruling on behalf of God. And this happens throughout the Bible, yet God still gives humans authority. He doesn't take the authority away. He wants humans to rule, and even though they've done it wrong, he doesn't take that authority away. We even see through the story of Israel, God's desire is to rule through Israel. But then they say they want a human king. But then God decides to rule through a human king, through a king like David. But we see even those kings are corrupted by evil. And instead of using their power to serve and love, they use it for themselves, and it leads to destruction. And that's partly, I think, why we don't like kings in general. Like maybe people like kings in kind of like the, the show of it or maybe the tradition of it. But, but most people in our world don't want to live in a kingdom, right? Like, like, we want to live in a democracy. We want power to be spread. We don't want someone to have ultimate power because that would just go terrible. If you put a person in ultimate power for, for good, like, that's going to be bad because we know what humans are like. Yet, if we're honest, the answer to that is not democracy because the problem is not a system of government. It's the human heart. It's, it's humans that's the problem. Is that we're supposed to rule and honor God, but we are corrupted. We're enslaved. We serve ourselves. Yet we see in the story of the Bible the promise of a king coming to rule, a king coming to rule in the way that God originally intended, to honor God and do his will on earth perfectly. 
we actually see another in Daniel again, this, this sort of coming vision of this. There's this another vision Daniel has of beasts, which are these evil rulers, but then he sees a, someone like a son of man. He sees a man. It says this in Daniel 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, which basically just means a human, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. He approaches God, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is an interesting picture. It's a human coming on the clouds, and the picture is that it's someone leaving earth, coming on the clouds to God's throne in heaven, and being given power to rule all nations with a dominion that will not pass away. It's, it's God's vision to rule with humanity, with a human king. And there's this picture of one day there will be a human king who can do that, who can honor and, and serve and rule with God. And it's interesting as well because in this vision, this human king is worshipped. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. So there's this... this pointer to the fact that, well, he's not just an ordinary human. He's a God human if he's being worshipped, this son of man. And he will come and he'll conquer the beast, he will conquer evil, and he will be given authority to rule on earth. And it's interesting because this is one of the main ways Jesus refers to himself. He refers to himself repeatedly as the son of man. And Jesus is coming and he also announces a kingdom. He says, now is the time for the kingdom of God to come. And what we see in Jesus is a very different kind of king and a very different kind of kingdom. One that's not like other kings, one that's not corrupted by evil and violence and love of power, but that totally redefines power and what it means to be a king and what it means to be in a kingdom. We see this in Jesus' teaching on greatness. There's this teaching he has in Mark 10. Uh, Jesus' disciples are arguing with themselves about who's going to be the greatest, which is kind of the values of our world and our culture. If you want to be great, you want to be a king. You want to have a position of power and a position of authority over other people. But this is what Jesus said. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, you know what kings in this world are like. You know what rulers are like. You know what people in positions of authority are like, how they use it for themselves how they dominate other people. In verse 43, it says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So this is Jesus' kingdom. This is, he's bringing God's kingdom, which looks very different to the kingdoms of this world. It's a whole different vision of greatness, a different vision of trust in God and self-sacrificial love. Because in human kingdoms, it's about power and love of power and often in dominating and often leads to evil and destruction. People hold on to power at all costs. Yet Jesus comes and says, no, to be great in my kingdom is to be the least, is to serve, is to lower yourself. And as Jesus is coming as this new king, he's coming, like we said, to free humanity from the bondage they've been in by giving their power and authority to evil powers and evil forces that 
people, even God's people, Israel, are enslaved. And Jesus has come, and His kingdom is confronting the kingdom of darkness. It's a clash of kingdoms. And how is He going to do that, though? How is He going to bring God's kingdom? How is He going to defeat evil? Or in Daniel, how is He going to defeat the beast? How will He gain victory? It's interesting, because Jesus starts to talk about this. This is a verse from John 12. He says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Jesus is going to dethrone the prince of this world. He's going to come as king. But how is he going to do that? He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus is becoming king. He will be lifted up and exalted as kings are. Kings are exalted. They go to a throne and are lifted up to rule. Jesus will be lifted up, but his throne will be a cross. And his exaltation will be his crucifixion. Yet, this is how he will bring his kingdom, and this is how he will defeat evil. We even see this, Jesus making this really explicit in, in, um, in this verse in Mark, around this idea of the Son of Man, this coming one who will st- sit on the throne before God. Um, when After Jesus is arrested, which again doesn't look like he's a king, he's arrested, and he's being tried, And the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus will be the Son of Man that goes, ascends to heaven to rule with God. Yet it doesn't look like that, right? Like this is him saying this when he's arrested, about to be crucified. does not look like this at all. And then we know the story. The, the, the Jews accuse Jesus. They hand him over to the Romans. And we know that behind the scenes, the powers of evil are working to destroy and kill Jesus. And they do. And when he's on the cross, Pilate had a notice prepared and fasted to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This is the coming king. And this is how he will bring the kingdom This is how he will defeat evil. Tim Mackey on this says, from one perspective, the cross looks like a beastly torture device, but Jesus viewed it as his throne. And on this throne, he exposed the subhuman nature of our evil by letting it do its worst, and then he overcame it by his divine life and love. Jesus' execution was his exaltation. That's a totally different vision of a king and a totally different vision of a kingdom. So we praise the king who conquers through the cross. We have a king who took the, from the highest place to the lowest place. We have a king who serves and offers his life. The, the greatest one is a servant who dies as a criminal. Like, that's a whole new vision of what a kingdom looks like and what a king looks like and what power looks like. And I think it's so great because, again, I think in our culture we tend to not like the idea of kings or people having authority over us. Um, We tend to not like people who are in government, like politicians are not popular. Uh, Even the Prime Minister of Australia, you guys might have seen a little while ago, there's this funny video where the Prime Minister is doing a press conference on some guy's lawn and he's standing on the grass, 
And this guy just like has a go at the prime minister because he's on his grass and he's just reseated the grass. He tells him to get off the grass. And it's like, what other country would treat their leader like that? Like, like the prime minister's at your door, get off my grass. Like, like, and Aussies don't really value or like people in authority. Or, or we kind of cut them down even. We don't want people to be exalted and lifted up. Maybe there's some truth in that. Maybe there's some, maybe it's our pride in that as well. But we see in Jesus a totally different type of king. Not a king who is exalting himself, but a king who humbles himself. A king who takes the lowest place. A king who goes to the cross. A king who, in a sense, is the underdog who defeats evil without expecting it and has the victory. So his kingdom is not like other kingdoms. It is a truly kingdom of love, grace, and truth where greatness is about service, where the one on the throne is the one of the cross. It's a kingdom not run by love of power, but by the power of love. And we know Jesus was successful. What looks like defeat was victory. What looks like the worst day was the day that changed everything. And now he has authority. Now he is actually on the throne with the Lord in charge of the world. He has dethroned the powers of this world, and Jesus now has authority. We see him talk about this at the end of Matthew. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus now has all authority in heaven and earth. Remember, God wants to rule through humans, so God is king but God wants to rule through humans, but humans are corrupted and they don't rule right. God comes as a human, defeats evil, and now represents humanity and rules with God. So Jesus has all authority. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, Jesus has authority. He's in charge. But again, you might sort of say, well, it doesn't really look like it. Like, if Jesus is in charge of the world, there's still this problems in the world. There's still issues, and, and there's still evil, and there's still injustice. And we know that Jesus' kingdom has come. He's in authority. One day it will come in full. He will deal with it. He'll come, and he'll rule. But in the meantime, again, he wants to rule through humans. He wants to spread his rule through us. Our job is to testify that there's a new king, that he has authority, and to call people to honor him and to follow him and live in his kingdom of love, which is totally different to how we tend to live. And again, we don't do that by ourselves. We do that by the Spirit. And in a sense, Jesus now rules, but Jesus rules on earth by the presence of his Spirit in his people. He wants to rule through us by the Spirit. We see this in Acts 2. Peter's giving a sermon, and he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Jesus is, ascends to heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Jesus is now the Lord of heaven and earth, but the way that he's going to rule the earth is through his people by the power of his Spirit. And we're commissioned to go and share the good news of his kingdom. So this is linked to the idea of temple, because in a temple, it's the idea of God, space, heaven, and earth coming together, which is what we pray for. Again, God, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want heaven to come to earth. And we see that through the Bible in temples. 
and then ultimately in Jesus as the God-man, heaven and earth together in a person. And then by the Spirit, we now carry God's presence and do His will on earth. On this, Tom Wright says this, Heaven and earth are now joined in the person, in the risen body of Jesus himself. It's a crazy thing to think, right? Like, yes, Jesus is God, but Jesus is man. Jesus is a human, and he's at the right hand of God. A human is in heaven. A God-man is in heaven, ruling on the throne of God right now. Like, like Jesus didn't cease being a human. Like, God wants to rule with humans. Jesus is at the right hand of God, ruling. The one who sits in heaven is the one who rules on earth. He therefore sends out his followers, equipped by his own spirit. He says if the ascension locates a part of earth in heaven, like Jesus has a physical body and then he's in heaven now, then Pentecost sends the breath of heaven to earth. God sends his presence and his spirit to earth. So we're equipped by his own spirit to celebrate his sovereignty over the world and make it a reality through the founding of communities rescued by his love, renewed by his power, and loyal to his name. So if we say, well, why doesn't it look like Jesus is in charge? Well, again, Jesus wants to rule through his people by the Spirit. And again, Jesus talks about this, that it will spread in secret. It will be like a tree that grows or a mustard seed. It's not, it's, it might be subtle and subversive, but he's ruling. He's in charge. Again, it says, Jesus' followers equipped with his Spirit are to become in themselves, individually and together, little walking temples, rescued themselves from sin through Jesus' death and with the living presence of God going with them and in them. So we praise the Lord who is at work by his Spirit. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. He's on the throne. He's got the victory and he's at work and he wants to rule in and through us on earth that we can praise him, that he is at work. This means, again, that the way that we live is with knowledge that he has won. Jesus has won. He has the victory. The enemy is not in charge anymore. Jesus is. He's the one with authority. Therefore, we're not to be people characterized by defeat, but victory. We have victory in Jesus. We're not to be characterized by fear, but confidence, because he's done it. He is Lord, and he's at work. He's, he's king now. It's just being worked out in the earth. And again, we might sort of look at our world and maybe even look at the church or look at our culture and kind of think, well, it seems like things are going backwards. Or it seems like the church is in decline. The church doesn't have the same position of power in society as it did. And yes, that's true. But Jesus is still Lord. And his kingdom endures. And as we've read multiple times in multiple verses, his kingdom will endure for all generations and his dominion forever and ever. We're not to be people characterized by defeat, therefore, who just sit back and maintain, or to be people who try to grasp power and hold power. We're to be people who recognize Jesus has authority. We're in his kingdom of the power of love, and we can move forward. We don't have to be on the back foot, worried that maybe the kingdom won't come. Or worried that maybe things won't work out. It's like, no, it will work out. Je Jesus has done it. There's, there's no question about that. We can be people of confidence who move forward trusting him. Again, not in our own strength, but with his presence. Not in our, with our own ideas, but listening to his spirit and following him. Not operating out of love of power, but operating out of the power of self-giving 
love. Because God is King, Jesus is Lord, and His Spirit is at work. So again, we've been saying this, these couple of weeks that, that these messages around Psalm 149 are just about, 145 are just about recognizing God's goodness and greatness and ways that we can praise Him. So today we can praise Him for He is King, He's King over all. We can praise Him for He's a King who conquers through a cross in an upside-down kingdom. We can praise Him because He is Lord now, and He's at work by His Spirit. So I just invite you to stand now as we come to, to finish, and we're just going to read these verses again, the ones from today. Um, I thought we could just read these together, and then, um, then we're going to sing and just do that and just celebrate His greatness and His kingdom. So I just invite you to read with me. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So we just praise you and honor you, Lord God, King of heaven and earth, Jesus who has the victory by your cross, and by your self-giving love. Just honor your presence of your spirit among us and ask that your will be done through us, Jesus, on earth, that you would reign on earth through your people by your spirit. Just ask that you'd be honored. Help us to be a people who celebrate your kingdom, who tell of your mighty works, who declare your greatness, who are not afraid because we know that your kingdom will endure from generation to generation. No one can touch your dominion, you have the throne and the authority. We put our trust and confidence in you, Jesus. Just honor you and just pray this in your name. Amen.